Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. So today is going to be a little bit different. Just go along for this ride. In those days, in those days, the Roman Empire was large and in charge. The Jewish people were small, insignificant, and worst of all, subjugated. In those days, Rome was the center of the world, and Israel was somewhere in the crease or on the edge of the map. In those days, the Romans were the powers that be, and the Jews were yesterday's news. In those days, Rome had just ushered in an era called the Pax Romana, but for the Jews, there was precious little peace to be found. In those days, Rome was ruled by a seasoned emperor, but in Israel, there were rumors of a newborn king. But age was not the only difference between Caesar Augustus and Jesus. So on this Christmas Day, 2022, from Luke chapter 2, I want us to spend just a few minutes considering the contrast between these two very different kings. In those days, Caesar Augustus. Caesar was a name that was recognized and revered. Jesus was a name that no one had even heard of yet. Caesar had climbed the rungs of power by eliminating his rivals. Jesus embraced a life that would allow his rivals to one day eliminate him. Caesar had the wealth of an empire at his disposal. Jesus was born with a price on his head. Caesar encouraged the myth that he was a man becoming God. Jesus, in truth, was God who had become man. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken in the entire Roman world. Caesar wanted every person in the empire to be counted. Jesus came because every person in the world counts. Caesar wanted his people to pay their taxes. Jesus came willing to pay our greatest debt. Caesar's taxes would go to fund war. Jesus' payment would establish our eternal peace. Caesar had his face on every coin. Jesus' family barely had two coins to rub together. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken in the entire Roman world. So Joseph also went up from Nazareth to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to the house and to the line of David. So Caesar, if you know your history, was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. Jesus if you believe your Bible, was the adopted son of a carpenter. Caesar was surrounded by the neon of Rome. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, a one-stoplight town. Caesar treated people like cattle. Jesus was born among the cattle. Caesar's life was one bottomless, endless buffet. Jesus began life in a cold stone feeding trough. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him. 
and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. Caesar's name was over all the imperial letterhead. Jesus' name didn't warrant his own line on a census form. Caesar had people waiting on him hand and foot, and Jesus was attended by two clueless parents and some startled barn animals. When Caesar walked by, people stood to attention. As Jesus was born, the world walked by without even noticing. Caesar controlled the world that he dominated. Jesus came to serve the very world that he had created. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And Mary gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Whenever Caesar arrived, he was shown to the green room. When Jesus arrived, he was offered a spot next door to the port john Caesar wore robes with all the best labels. Jesus was given rags that goodwill would have rejected. Caesar was what we would call an influencer. Jesus had no beauty or majesty to attract us, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Caesar was too big for his britches. Jesus had no britches. That's my favorite line. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel of the Lord said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Caesar, you see, was on a first-name basis with all the uppity-ups. Jesus' name was first announced to those who were down and out. Caesar's name could strike fear in the hearts of his subjects, but Jesus' name sounded hope to those who were already afraid and admittedly very far from God. Caesar was accustomed to ambassadors, well-versed in court etiquette. Jesus was received by shepherds who could barely quote even a single verse of Scripture. Caesar's joy, if you could call it that, was bread and circuses. Jesus' joy was the hope of a made-right relationship with God. And there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel of the Lord said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will be great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Caesar controlled history. Jesus reshaped eternity. Caesar, no doubt, knew, had experienced that uneasy lies the head that bears the crown. But on this night in Bethlehem, easy slept the baby who would one day bear the sins of the world. Caesar may have ruled the world, but it was through Jesus that God so loved the world. Caesar demanded a pledge of allegiance. Caesar is Lord. But this new king deserves our heart, our hope, as we confess with confidence that Jesus is Lord. So why spend our time on this Christmas day comparing two kings? First, I think it's important to 
see the difference between the only thing the world can offer and the very best that God has to offer. You see, too often we are attempted to admire those who wield power and who are willing to do anything to hold on to it. So in this way, Caesar is not only a historical figure, but he is the way the world really works, isn't he? Caesar represents the world with its penchant for domination, manipulation, intimidation. Caesar is the embodiment of the world that wants to control. Jesus, then and now, incarnates the God who wants nothing more but to set us free. Second, these two kings offer us the opportunity to contemplate where we really put our hope. These two kings and all they represent still vie for the throne of the human heart, your heart and my heart. What we place our hope in, what we place our hope for change reveals more of who we truly worship than just one hour on a Sunday morning. Finally, it's good for us to remember who Jesus really is and how different he remains from every king who has ever occupied any throne on our planet. Caesar was a driver. Jesus is a shepherd. Caesar was full of himself. Jesus emptied himself. Caesar demanded respect. Jesus deserves our worship. Caesar and those like him will come and go. But Jesus remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Amen. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. One last difference. When it comes to Caesar, you would have been expected to keep your distance. But with Jesus, he invites all of us to his table. He says, come to me, those of you who are wearied and burdened, and I will give you rest. Put my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Let's take our communion elements together, and let's take communion with Jesus. Let's go ahead and take care of all the wrappings, as though you needed one more thing to unwrap on Christmas Day. <laughs> Pull out that little piece of bread, turn it over, unwrap that cup. Jesus, if we would have been alive in the day you were born, there's not a single one of us that would have been able to buy a place at Caesar's table. But because of who you are, because of everything that you represent, that God so loved the world, we are all invited to come and eat and drink with you. Why would we settle for a temporary king when we can dine with the king of the universe. Thank you that we get to be your disciples in the here and now and experience your presence in this moment through bread and cup in your name. Amen. It was on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. He broke it, gave it to his disciples, and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the disciples then and the disciples today take the bread together.
It was in the same way after the supper that Jesus took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And the disciples then and the disciples today take the cup together. Jesus, it's fitting that on the day that we remember your birth, that we take communion. As we eat the bread, we remember that the very word Bethlehem means house of bread. Thank you from that simple beginning that you are our bread of eternal life. And on a day so close to your birth, we also commemorate the day of your death. Also, we remember the reality of your resurrection. Also, we remember on the day of your birth our promised rebirth as your children who belong to you. Jesus, thank you. And forgive us when we settle for other kings, when we get to know and love and dine with you. It is in your name that we offer our prayer and our lives on this Christmas day. Amen. One more hymn. It was in the 1700s that a Catholic layperson took up a pen and wrote a beautiful Christmas song. The only problem is that he wrote it in Latin, and not many people had access to that, and not many people learned it. And it wasn't until a hundred years later that another Catholic, this time a Catholic priest, translated those Latin words into English. And I like the idea that as we sing this song, Basically, this song took a hundred years to write, but it was well worth it because it is also a timeless hymn that we sing, and we sing it to others, and we sing it to ourselves. Oh, come, all ye faithful, and let's come, let's invite ourselves to worship the living God today. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. And may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.